This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. An HPC Decade in Review. What to watch for in the 2020s. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research, and joining me for the last time this decade is Tiffany Trader from HPC Wire. Tiffany, it's been a great 10 years in high-performance computing. It has been a great 10 years, and here we are, and we were both we were both here. We were both here 10 years ago, and the cool thing about that is we're able to look back on the, the trends that we were looking at then and maybe some of the predictions that we made then and compare them to where we are now. And I know that you were able to pull up your market report uh, from 2010, and I think it will be interesting to compare what, what the marketplace looked like then compared with now and, you know, look at, zoom in on some of those key trends. Yeah, it's a fairly terrifying thing as an analyst to be able to go back 10 years and say, hey, here are my presentations from SC10, from SC11, uh, some of the top things that we were predicting or talking about, and then actually see how we did. And uh, I went through my SC10 charts, and we were talking about the adoption of cloud computing and HPC, and our research was showing then that, you know, there was a lot of talk about cloud, but the 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 uh, actual adoption wasn't showing up yet, except as hybrid clouds. And we put that into our, our conclusions. That was not a very popular conclusion at that time, but it wasn't until really two years ago that we saw cloud really finally hit that inflection point and take off into a higher growth rate. But more to the point, the 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 market really looked different um, 10 years ago than it looked right now. We were looking at the market shares from 2010, uh, and on the server side in particular, IBM was the the clear number one back 10 years ago with about a third of the market by revenue. Now, that was uh, not only Blue Gene systems, but really the volume was predominantly x86-based systems, which, of course, they they later sold off to Lenovo, and that brought them way down in market share. But it was IBM number one. HPE was number, well, HP then, before they were HPE, was number two, Dell number three. And the funny thing was to look back at who number four was by revenue. It fell way back, but just ahead of uh, SGI and Cray, who were both still there, Oracle still had a 5% share in our in our 2010 numbers. So they were the, the number four vendor, but they fell further back and soon found themselves in the uh, in the other category and, and we, where they've remained since then. Right. So that's really that's really interesting. I wonder if any of our, our listeners were, were guessing uh, guessing Oracle on that number four spot. And so how does that compare with, uh, you know, with, with where, where things stand now? I mean, IBM was number one in 2010 and I don't think they're they're not number one in your latest report. No, no, they've been number four recently, very narrowly behind Lenovo is the number three. The top positions of, of course, HPE and Dell, and that's also a very narrow race. HPE is very narrowly ahead of Dell, and that's for server shares. If we start lumping in storage, which we now do report separately and publish storage uh, revenue, which we didn't publish in 2010. We did have internal models to track it, but factoring in storage, uh, Dell is number one overall in total revenue just because EMC has so much more storage revenue than than HPE delivers. The storage side is Dell EMC number one, followed by NetApp number two, and, and then HPE. So it's very close in that number one spot. And now, of course, HPE is acquiring Cray. So that'll give uh, HPE a little more revenue 
going forward. Not in our 2019 numbers when we add those up. Uh, here we're, I've been talking about 2018 numbers. We haven't put the wraps on 2019 yet. We'll publish 2019 numbers and see how that looks in, in the course of a whole decade uh, coming up uh, next spring. You should be able to watch for for those from us uh, going forward. But the, the decade had a, a lot of interesting trends beyond that. The other big thing I was looking at from our research earlier in the year was what was going on with multi-core. We did our first multi-core studies as Tabor research going back to 2008. And in the turn of the decade then, uh, going into 2010, we were really tracking GPU adoption and projecting that what was then uh, getting looked at on about 20% of systems would start to become a more common paradigm. That also proved to be a good prediction uh, going forward as we really did see GPUs uh, become a, a significant paradigm for HPC over the course of the decade. Yeah, touching on a couple of those trends, you know, certainly with um, HPC Cloud, you know, we had our publication back then, HPC in the Cloud, you know, possibly coming in a little early now, and here it's, it's reached this this um, full blossoming, full support and buy-in from the major cloud public cloud vendors now for HPC. You're seeing uh, InfiniBand uh, was in Amazon, and now uh, Azure has uh, su support uh, instances with full HDR 200. Uh, 200G um, InfiniBand, so, and the momentum continues. A cycle uh, got bought by Azure. Um, so just like this really, at, at a certain point before, they they weren't, they hadn't fully committed to HPC, and I think we've seen that now. I think uh, that's kind of been partially pushed by the, the headwinds of, of AI, too. I think AI has been a positive uh, step for that. And then certainly, um, you know, we were, we were talking a lot about the coming era of, of um, you know, with the processor diversity and certainly um, many core, multi core, many core, and this has been now a completely bounded decade. You know, this entire decade now has been a decade of of, of multi core. You know, so um, it really was uh, was achieved here. Um, we're seeing now chips, just uh, the common um, server chips now with you know the cores uh, up to in the 40, 50, 60 cores uh, for um, Intel and, and AMD chips. So certainly that was a, a major trend of the decade. And then I think you also made some really spot on predictions when it comes to InfiniBand as well. Well, in fact, I, I just found this is a special treat for our listeners. I found our, our charts from uh, later in the year about 10 important trends for high performance computing in 2011. So looking at the predictions that we published at that time, number one was that accelerator adoption would continue. Now, we were acknowledging that 90 percent was currently on, Infidi uh, on NVIDIA, but that that would then have to face off against the Intel mic architecture. And we weren't projecting a, a, uh, a result of that, but uh, we all know how that went as Intel went through a few different iterations of what became Intel Xeon Phi. Uh, and, uh, and that arc seems to now be coming to an end at the end of the decade. Uh, second prediction was that storage would be the fastest growing product sector uh, and that we were pointing to some of the, the stabilization in uh, parallel file systems and the consolidation that was intensifying competition and, of course, the overall growing amounts of data. Now that we weren't talking about big data then, 
but that did wind up uh, becoming a, a a big part of what was happening going forward. InfiniBand struggles to grow further as a high-performance technical computing system interconnect and needs new usage or markets. That also wound up being true. InfiniBand peaked out in about the 50% range as a system interconnect within HPC as Ethernet proved resilient. Where InfiniBand got its growth going forward after that was in uh, storage interconnects and also to a certain extent in LANs. And that's something that we uh, published as part of our most recent site census reports. Uh, biggest finance application will be risk management. That was true. Facilities considering to grow as, in, uh, as a share of budget. Memory usage growing along with multi-core. Programming services. Cloud, only 3% of spending, mostly in pr uh, private clouds. Windows share, flattening out after having been growing. And then finally, uh, what we were talking about with big data, we were just now getting into at the end of 2011, looking at big data as a trend, and then that would become a, a big cornerstone of our research uh, going forward the next couple of years. All right. Well, you know, you mentioned some of the big players when you're talking about the, the, the market reporting that you've done, and I, I think, you know, we could we could dig in further into uh, some of the arcs that the major players of NHPC have had, and, you know, Two of two of the big ones are Intel and IBM. You know, I think the first few years of this next decade will be absolutely crucial ones um, to, to see where IBM and, and, and Intel are going. You know, take Intel for example. You mentioned the mic architecture that was that was the the, the, the technology behind Phi. Um, you know, that was going to be their great big hope to compete with Nvidia, and um, that that didn't pan out uh, partly um, because of uh, mismanaged expectations um, as for the the ease of programmability but there and then there's also been some uh, false starts um, and delays you know going on at Intel so I think they've uh, they've had to change their marketing again they they with the Phi they were gonna they convinced the market why this uh, eventually uh, bootable many core part was better than uh, GPU and now they're gonna have to convince uh, the market, why their their GPU, this XE, um, what's the uh, uh, Pontevecchio, is um, you know why that will be better, you know, for than the Nvidia GPU, uh, which has had this um, solid uh, period of ecosystem development with CUDA behind it. So say what you want about Nvidia and their proprietary nature, which uh, bothers some folks, but CUDA has really been a success for them and. And and in development uh, since I think 2006, um, and they haven't rested on their laurels. You know, they keep building and adding to it. Um, you know, with the, with the major example being the the ARM support that they recently brought in. You know, supporting ARM as a, a full system. Yeah, these are fascinating developments, and we we try not to forecast the success or failure of individual companies because we don't want to influence the market that way as analysts. We want to measure it and certainly give companies our best advice. We did look at these trends in our vendor overview documents for Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA that we published just prior to supercomputing. And with Intel in particular, I think it's fascinating that this has come around full circle now back to a discrete GPU that's going to include graphics functionality that addresses, or, or I should say competes with NVIDIA in NVIDIA's home markets in gaming. Uh, the whole Xeon Phi architecture 
Before that, it was called the Mini Integrated Core Architecture, and before that, it was a discrete GPU under the code name Larrabee. Uh, and this project has come all the way back around full circle now through multiple iterations and is now a, a discrete GPU again. Uh, it will be interesting to see how Intel competes, and it, and it should be a significant concern to NVIDIA. But as I look at the different iterations of processor architecture preferences studies that we've done as custom research over the last decade, a big conclusion that just kept repeating itself over and over again was looking at the software environments, the protection of software application uh, optimizations going forward, and the ease of programmability just kept getting underlined again and again in multiple iterations of these studies uh, in 2016, in 2014, back to 2008. And uh, in the CPU side, that's where in Intel has a huge lead as the number one commercial provider of middleware and developer tools. But on the accelerator side, NVIDIA has uh, 12 years now of investment around CUDA, and that's a moat around that uh, that development environment. So it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how this evolves over the next couple of years. Yeah, we'll definitely be looking at Intel. You know, they're poised to launch this discrete GPU, and they're also poised to stand up the Exascale or near Exascale supercomputer Aurora at Argonne in, in late 2021. So um, definitely watching them, uh, as well as um, IBM. You know, they have been, they were the number one um, company on your on, on your report in, in 2010, and they've been having something of an identity crisis since they sold their x86 x86 business to Lenovo. That was in 2014 for 2.3 billion, and now they are they they started um, back up with power. Uh, and now, despite some recent wins, it's unclear, you know, what the what the health of, of that. Um, ecosystem is right now. So um, they did, of course, succeed in standing up the first two major, you know, we can call them pre-exascale systems with the Summit and Sierra, which knocked China off of their three, four-year winning streak atop the top 500. But, um, you know, for, 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 for reasons which we're not, we're not all privy to, uh, they, didn't, they didn't win any of the, the exascale contracts. Um, you know, Intel and, and Cray uh, were, were the big winners there on those exascale contracts as well, uh, AMD, uh, as well as AMD. Yeah, we have concerns about IBM, and this went into the vendor profile on IBM that we published uh, to our clients. And, you know, my concern there isn't that they sold the x86 business off to Lenovo. I thought that made a lot of sense for them doing that at that time. What concerns me more is the lack of momentum that they, you know, that they failed to build around their power systems, especially when you consider the position that they have with storage that's still quite strong and the position they have with middleware, also quite strong. They've had really good partnerships. They just haven't managed to put it together with the power systems portfolio. And over the course of the next couple of years, if they don't get that momentum built, I would actually look at a possibility of uh, partnerships for the storage and software groups within IBM to bulk up their HPC credibility by going with another system vendor who maybe has systems but lacks the storage and software play. Someone with a portfolio of someone like, say, Penguin Computing uh, could maybe really benefit. Consider what would happen if a Penguin Tundra system were sold together with IBM so uh, software storage and services, and would that be an interesting play? 
Well, two other companies that we're, we're, we're watching that have had uh, some success and seem to be on the ascent lately are ARM uh, as well as AMD. You know, ARM had some, some setbacks over the, uh, the course of the decade, but now they, they have had some recent successes, you know, with multiple projects based on uh, ARM, the, uh, the ARM, server, ARM server chips, including a Petascale ARM system at Sandia, the Isambard system, and of course, uh, the Re in Japan, there's the Riken Fugaku uh, Fujitsu system, uh, which has had its first racks delivered uh, within the last couple of weeks, I think. So, um, some some big some big wins there, and then ARM also factors prominently into Europe's exascale plans as well, and is a key piece of the European processor initiative. Yeah, the prospects for ARM are certainly have been on the rise recently, as, as well as for AMD, and that's going to be an interesting competition there. I think AMD poses the most significant threat to ARM-based systems in that it provides an Intel alternative that stays inside of the x86 programming paradigm. Uh, but, but AMD, while they have a CPU and a GPU, and that's compelling, they also have to catch up on software on both, which goes back to what we were just talking about with regard to software ecosystem. Yeah, exactly. Um, definitely. And NVIDIA um, has had the, the lead there. Uh, with the CUDA development, um, you know, I can't even keep track of all of the AMD system wins anymore. They've they've uh, had so many. As as has a uh, Cray also has had a lot of wins there too. But and often together uh, in the same system. For example, uh, the AMD Cray AMD system is on track to be the first or one of the first exascale systems in the U.S. That's the Frontier system. It's an A plus A system, which means it'll have the AMD CPUs plus the GPUs. That system is on track for 2022 delivery. And one of the things that we've we've noticed about that, I, I think that um, it's being lined up to employ design of the Zen 4, which may be at five nanometer, and that could be at a time when Intel with Aurora is is at 10 nanometer plus plus with the Sapphire Rapids, uh, which these things aren't exactly apples to oranges, but um, it would give the AMD um, the lead there. And you know, AMD they've really been executing. They've been on track. Uh, I think they've they've captured about five percent of the market share, where Intel at one point had 98, 99 percent, and they say that they're on track to capture 10 percent um, you know, within the next six months or so. It's certainly we're going to uh, something we're going to keep watching both in our site census surveys and in our market share reports. And of course, as you were allu uh, alluding to, this next decade coming up is going to usher in the exascale era. And that's going to mark some real shifts, not only in terms of architectures, but also workloads. Uh, we talked about big data. That was the big story that went through HPC in the middle of the decade. We were starting to talk about it by the end of 2011. 2012, 2013 was really taking over. We published some research then that said while analytics was a, was a big dominant workload, the idea of a distinct market that could be tracked like high-performance data analytics was not taking off. There was no discrete budget. The top-level budgets were staying uh, relatively constant. And that proved to be true, although it wasn't very popular research. All of the zeal around Hadoop never really materialized into a separate market. What we saw was people were adopting analytics into the systems they already had. They might be getting more flash uh, as part of their overall storage. We certainly talked about IOPS and throughput a lot, but but there wasn't any kind of big uh, boost in terms of 
uh, total market size and uh, and HPC vendors who invested uh, time or effort or resources into putting out big data appliances or in the extreme big data business units. Most of those, we did not see those succeed. And it's interesting to bring that up in the context of AI, where we really do see more of a discrete market that is developing. And we've published uh, the uh, primary market size around machine learning, or at least infrastructure for training for machine learning, both primary and secondary, in terms of where that market opportunity is. And those workloads really are influencing the exascale deployments right now to where it's like people don't even know what to talk about with flops anymore. Do we care about double precision flops? Do we care about single precision, mixed precision, half precision? It's this discussion that's now permeated throughout the HPC industry in terms of what does performance measurement uh, even look like? Yeah, those are all great points. You know, I think despite a, a lot of skepticism, even recently as, you know, as, as as recently as a year ago, there really has been a lot of momentum in the last year, year and a half, towards this kind of converge, convergence or confluence between the, those big data, the machine learning side and HPC. And, you know, we're seeing that written right into the fabric of all of these exascale contracts. Um, you know, that is a big open question, how we'll even measure things going forward. You know, we, we're set, um, the exascale threshold is set to be crossed by the end of 2021 uh, from the U.S. Uh, with at Frontier, um, at Oak Ridge, possibly Aurora. Uh, both sites are targeting power footprints in the 30, 40 megawatt range. Uh, you have, um, you know, you have some other, po possibly Japan in the running, although we just found out that Fugaku has changed its uh, peak flops targets um, to less than an exascale, really around 400 petaflops. Uh, I don't think Europe is on track really to hit exascale till you know, maybe 2023, 2024, and there's some open questions with the European Processor Initiative. I think there's a lot of open questions with China. Uh, I think it's definitely possible that China could achieve exascale first, um, although visibility there is somewhat limited right now due to uh, the political and uh, trade situation that you have going on. But, you know, we can see, you know, exascale coming, and then as we start to look, you know, even further forward, um, you know, we don't really know if we'll ever get to, uh, you know, Z uh, Zeta scale or Zeta. Will we ever have double precision Zeta flops? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think we'll have it in the coming decade. You know, we were talking. You mentioned uh, Thomas, Thomas Sterling had this, uh, you know, prediction in HPC Wire article looking uh, back to 2012. You know, saying that we will never get to uh, to Zeta to Zeta scale. So. You know, yeah, to say never ever is a really long time. I agree with you. I don't think that would be within the coming decade. But, uh, you know, science has a very long arc and does not get satisfied uh, by the end of this coming decade either. So I would say eventually we're going to get there. Uh, beyond looking at Exascale and Zetascale, I had an opportunity to present with, to the Society of HPC Professionals in Houston just recently and get into some long-range predictions there. Uh, in the near term, I would stick with the software uh, environments really determining a lot of the battles going on between the processor architectures. That's what we're going to see in 2020, 2021 is that play out between ARM, AMD, Intel, Power, GPUs, FPGAs, that's going to, that battle will be fought in software. Going medium term, that's when I think we're going to see a lot of real innovation come into HPC because of machine learning specifically. Could be 
things like AI in the loop for HPC simulations. If we can teach AI the rules of a game like Go or Poker, we can teach it the rules of a game like Optimize the Airplane Wing and have it AI as, a, as an engineering assist to guide uh, HPC simulations working in concert. And then for the last half of the decade, if I'm going to pick one really long-term trend, it would be to see what AI does on the storage side. Um, I think what we're seeing right now is an intensification of tiering in storage. And I think by the time you get to the back half of this coming decade, performance in high-performance storage is less about having a lot of bandwidth to one fat tier like a parallel file system, but more about managing uh, intelligently placing data where it's needed, when it's needed, and that's another role where machine learning could could play a part. I think by the middle of the decade, you'll see people claiming they have something akin to predictive storage or intelligent storage, uh, and that could really get to where by the end of the decade, it's, it's working for a wide range of enterprise workloads. We've also seen this trend where silicon is embracing lower precision, and I think we're going to see that with the... the this increased um, activity in the HPC sphere to figure out ways to bring in mixed precision in order to get more performance out of you know the hardware that is available. One thing's for sure. Part of the reason I love this industry is it doesn't hold still. Uh, and uh, we've seen a lot of change over the last, the last 10 years, and I think we're going to see a lot more in the next 10. It's going to be an exciting industry to be part of. Yes, and, uh, and, and, we didn't, and we should just, you know, props to quantum computing, quantum, the quantum computing ecosystem and the players. There's been so much activity there really come up this decade and especially in the last five years or so with all these, you know, major, like from D-Wave and IBM and Rigetti, and then it's now it's in the cloud with, with Amazon uh, Bracket. So definitely we're going to continue to pay attention to that too. Just um, wait till next decade. Yeah, <laughs> wait till next decade. All right, Tiffany. Well, thanks very much. Uh, it's been uh, a fun year of podcasts, and I'm looking forward to coming back in 2020. Uh, and uh, happy holidays to all of our listeners. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.